The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Yoma has been dedicated in memory of Mazal Bat Esther Baghdadi and Yosef Ben Mazal Baghdadi by their family. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated by North Fork Bank and its private banking department with Gabriel Safti. Hashem Ishmedehu Bihayehu. We would like to thank North Fork Bank and urge our listeners to patronize this generous financial institution. On a uh, private note, we'd like to thank Mr. Gabriel Safti for his continued support for all our programs here at uh, Daf Yomi, Torah Learning Resources, and the Torah Center. Today's Daf has been dedicated in memory of Yosef Ben Mazal and Shalom Rafael Ben Mazal. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Today's daf is being studied Le'alun Ishmat Abraham ben Esther Ruach Hashem Tanihinu Begin Aiden Amen Today's daf is being studied Le'alun Ishmat Chaim David ben Adel Elna Rifanalo Elna Rifanalo Elna Rifanalo Fata Nefesh Fata Guf Fata Rabalabu Vechen Yerason Ben Omar Amen We begin today's daf right on the top line of Chavbet Amud Rishon, starting at the new Mishnah, as we begin the second Perek of the Masechet. Barishona, originally, kol mi litrom et torem. Any Kohen that wanted to fulfill the Mizvah of Terumat was able to. What was this Mizvah of Terumat HaMizbayach, litrom et So we learned earlier, in the last Perek, that in the morning... Before the Qurban Tamid was brought, a Kohen would go up the ramp of the Mizbayah, and he would have to take a shovels full of uh, ashes from the nights before, and he would take it, bring it down the ramp, and put it on the eastern side of the uh, Mizbayah. According to some opinions that we saw, Mahlokan in the Tosafot, miraculously, those ashes would get swallowed uh, in the ground. Now, of course, not any Kohen could do this service. It has to be a Kohen that at least qualifies to work on that given day. As we learned, the Kohanim was split into 24 Mishmarot. And those Mishmarot were split up into... One, one Mishmar would work uh, a week. So technically, let's say, Kohanim would work twice a year, two weeks a year. But even the Mishmar was divided into seven groups. Those seven groups were called Bate'av. It means... Uh, one-seventh of the Mishmar would work on any given day. So therefore, if it was that Kohen's day to serve in the Beit HaMikdash, so it was a first-come, first-served basis. Whoever would get there first to do the mitzvah, in the morning he would fulfill the mitzvah. So, anybody that wants to do it, can do it. Tap Rashi, Kol Kohen Av, any Kohen that's from that Beit Av, meaning to work on that given day, and he wants to you know, clean the Mizbayah and take the ashes off, he can do it. There originally was not a pious, a lottery, to uh, draw lots, to see who would do it. However, the Mishnah continues, well, let's say there were a lot of candidates that wanted to do the Mizbayah, that she says, and he told him, and he told him, 
And now they're arguing. Each guy says, yeah, I want to do it. So then what do you do? So the Mishnah says, Ratzin ve'olim ba'kevesh. So they run up the ramp. And the rule would be, Whoever gets within four amot of the Mizbeach first, he gets the Zechut. So it's a race. They would race up the ramp of the Mizbeach, and the uh, quicker one that would get to the, within four amot zone of the top of the Mizbeach, like the Gemara will explain, he is the one that gets the Mizbeach. As she says, It's 32 amot long. Right, the top four amot of the kevesh that's closer to the top of the mezbayah now the let's say there's a tie the two guys get up to that exact spot at the same time so the appointee would tell all the kohanim hatsbi'u Put out one of your fingers. Which means what they would do now is a new system of counting the fingers of the Kohanim. And the Gemara Mishnah will explain. Umayin motzi'in. So how many fingers would each Kohan put out? Ahad or shtayim. You could put out one or two fingers. Ve'en motzi'in agudal b'megdash. And the rule was you're not allowed to put out the thumb. Now let's explain exactly the procedure that was being done over here. In order to count the Kohanim now, the Mimuneh would bring all the Kohanim together. If there's a tie, all the Kohanim go back into the mix now. Whoever's there. Now, the Mimuneh would stand in the middle. Now she's going to tell us that the Mimuneh would pick a number arbitrarily. 60 or 100, whatever the number is. And then he would take the hat off of one of the Kohanim as a signal that he's starting to count from that person. And then everybody, all the Kohanim that was standing there in a circle, would put out either one finger or two fingers. And now the Memuneh would start to count. And whichever man, whichever Kohen, the number that he picked came out on, he wins the lottery and he gets the, uh, the job to do the uh, cleaning of the Mizbeah. Now it should be pointed out that all the Kohanim get involved in this. And you can ask a question. Why don't you just do the lottery between the two, uh, the two contestants that uh, tied uh, up the uh, ramp? So Spinachius goes over there. If you're going to do the counting procedure, there could be trickery. Because it's very easy to figure out who's going to win. Because the Mimuneh picks a number, right away he knows whoever he's going to start from. If it's an odd number or even number, right away he knows exactly who can win. Here, uh, it's a little more uh, safe. Now there is a look at amongst the Shonim who picks the number. From Lashid's Masma, the Mimuneh picks the number. Now, if the Mimuneh is sharp, right away can calculate by picking a number who's going to get it. So, um, according to other opinions, somebody else, or one of the Kohanim, or somebody else, would pick the uh, number in order that it cannot be trickery. And there's different reasons why you cannot put out a thumb. Uh, one reason why they cannot put, put, put out the thumb is because the Kohanim can switch. Because as, as the number's coming around, they're going to see that maybe they're. Uh, they're, uh, you know, part of uh, the, the, the numbers going to land on them. They can just put their thumb back in. It's easy to, to hide the thumb or to put it out. Because the thumb looks like it's two, from two different people. The, the, fourth, the, the index finger looks like it's from one person. And the thumb looks like it's from another person. So therefore, you know, as the guy's just counting, he's counting fingers, the guy sticks his thumb out in order to, you know, get the extra number on him. So therefore, it's going to be trickery. So therefore, they don't allow thumbs to be counted in order to coin him cannot. A trick. Now let's read this inside. It's even. Huh? They could all put out ones. They could all put out ones. They can do it again. 
different? Why, why is it? Why is he going to have to do it again if they all put out ones? He pick a number, you said. He picks a number of sixty. So the guy that oh, comes out sixty, then they go around. They just came out counting. Look at uh, Rashi. No one gets the zechut. See that she's very careful. Kulam ba'im. He holds everybody now gets involved in the mix, and I told you why. So the memune, the appointee says, Right, take out your fingers. They make a circle. They stand in a circular position. So the appointee comes. He takes the hat off of one of the Kohanim. That's a signal that they're starting to count from him. The lottery starts counting from him. Right, whoever the uh, number lands on, he's the one that gets the zechut. And he picks the number. Arbitrarily number. 160. Point is, You have to pick a number more than the Kwanim that are there. To give everybody a fair uh, chance. Right, if there's 50 Kwanim, he's got to pick a number uh, higher than 50. And he starts counting from the Kwan that he took the hat off. Going round and around. So this was the way they did the lotteries in the Beit HaMikdash. It was the finger lottery. The Gemara is going to explain why one or two. What's the logic why you put out one or two fingers? But you cannot put out the thumb. Why? Because of the tricksters. Right, when the number is coming towards the end, the yabit lemi yichle. Right, ready to go in towards the end of the number, can figure out who it's going to land on. So what are they going to do? Yotzi omed lefanav The guy, in order to gain an extra number on him, he'll just stick out his thumb. In order that the second uh, the, the, the finger will land on him. Now, the Kohen will think it's two, the guy who's counting will think it's two people. Because he's really not looking at the people when he's counting. He's just looking at the uh, fingers. So when you see a thumb, since the thumb is separated from the index finger, it looks like it's from two people. So therefore, he's going to be thinking he's counting a different guy. Meanwhile, it's the same guy. And therefore, he gained the count to be on him. Right? And the count will speed up and finish on him. Because the guy can distance his thumb from his forefinger a lot. So it looks like two people, even though it's only one. So therefore, because of the trickery, Tachamim said, no thumbs in the bed, Tamikdash. Comes the Mishnah and continues. Gemara says, there was a story in the Beit HaMikdash where they were both two Kwanim running up to Kevish, the ramp of the Beit HaMikdash of the Mizbeach. So one of the Kwanim pushed his friend and he fell off the ramp and he broke his leg. When the rabbi saw that this system over here of running up the ramp is uh, becoming a dangerous practice. 
התקינו שלא יהיו תורמים את המזבח אלא בפייס. And it finished. The only option is the lottery, which is the, uh, the finger system, which is no more races up the ramp and all that. They said that's it, the only system is the lottery. Now, in the Bet HaMikdash, on any given day, there were four lotteries that were held. And this was the first one. Who is the Torem of the Mizbeach? That's she. Four, day, four times a day, they would gather the Kohanim in order to make lotteries, in order to decide who's going to do certain avodot. Comes the Gemaran continues. What's the reason why the rabbis did not institute a lottery from the beginning? Which means, before this takala, uh, before the guy fell off the ramp and broke his leg, how come that Khamim in the beginning just didn't say, uh, you know, whoever wants to do the Tirumat Mizbayah will make a lottery? So the Gemara says, well, Mi'ikara Savur, originally the rabbis thought, Kevan da Avodat Lailahi, since this Avodah of Tirumata Mizbeah can be done at night, as we learned in the previous Perek, that there were some times, for example, on Kippur, it was done already at Chatzot, it was done at midnight, and on the Regalim it was even done before that, it was done at the end of the first Asmura. This is one of the services that can be done at night. So, lo hashiva lehu. So the Kohanim are not going to give it too much credence because since it's really not an avodah in the day, it's only an avodah that can be done in the night. They're not going to give it hashivut. Velo atu, and therefore you're not going to get any customers. Which they didn't think there'd be any um, um, uh, interest by the Kohanim to really do this mitzvah. Since it's a mitzvah that can be done at night, they're not going to treat it like one of the more important services, let's say, that can be done in the day. So they said, you know, let first come, first serve. They didn't think there would be any uh, competition even. But when the rabbis saw that actually Kohanim were coming, not only were they coming to do the mitzvah, but it was leading to, you know, violence. So they said, okay, we have no choice but to bring it to a lottery. That's she. Since this mitzvah is kashir to be done at night, it's not so hashuf to the kohanim. And they're not going to come to fight over such a mitzvah. So comes the Gemara and says, yeah, I'm sorry, we know that the burning of the bones and the meat is a mitzvah haktara, which is done at night, right? All the korbanot that were done during the day, at night their fats and bones are placed on the mizbeach and they're burnt all night. And the rabbis made a takana of who's going to get the zechut to throw the um, bones uh, on the Mizbeach and uh, you know uh, watch over the Haktara they made a lottery oh, I thought you told me things that are done at night how come you originally weren't worried about competition but this was Avodat Laila and they, and they did it that she says they are Haktara Tevarim Shu Kasher Kola Laila right it's Kasher all night Utnan Gabe Paisot and we learned by the lotteries the Matnitin Mi Ma'ale Evarim La Kevish Umena Kevish La Mizbeach one of the lotteries was who brings the Bones up the ramp, and who puts it on the mizbeach? So you see, even Avodat Laila, Hakamim did make a 
Pious. So the Gemara says no. Sof dimamahi. Which means, the Gemara said, the way they looked at the Avodav, the Haktara at night, it's the end of the daily service. Because that's the last process of the Korban. Which means the Korban that were brought during the day, by night they were put on the Mizbeah. So the Kwanim looked at that more as a, it's a daily service, it's the end of the Avodat Yom. So it was considered Hashuv. So therefore the rabbis right away had to make a lottery from the beginning. So the Gemara says, oh yeah, that's the case. Well, if you can look at it that way, I can say that this is considered the beginning of the service of the day. If Haktara is considered the end of the service of the day before, I can look at the Terumat Adeshin as the beginning of the next day service. How? Because we have a statement from Rabbi Yohanan. Now, before a Kohen does any service in the Beit HaMikdash, he must do at least what's called Kiddush Adayim V'Raglayim. He must go to the Kiyor, the sink, and he must clean his hands and his feet. That renders him kasher for the Avodah. So the Gemara says, let's say he made Kiddush Adayim V'Raglayim at night for the Turumat Adeshin, for this mitzvah to clean out the Mizbeah, right? Lemachar in Sarik Kadesh. The next morning, when he does the next service, he doesn't have to wash his hands again, which means he can, he can rely on the... Kiddush Yadayim V'Raglam that he did the night before Shikibar Kiddush Mitchilat Avodah. Because already he, he did the Kiddush Yadayim V'Raglam from the beginning of the service. Which is much of the statement over here, that the beginning of the service of the day begins the night before at the Terumat Adeshin. So then we're back to the question. You said that what? That Haktara, no, the Haktara is considered uh, Hashuv to the Kohanim. That's why they had to make a lottery from the beginning. Because there was competition there. Why was it Hashuv? Because that's the end of the daily service. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Sof Avodadi Mamahi. Because that's the last thing they would do to the korbanot that was slaughtered during the day and their blood was sprinkled during the day. Therefore the Kwanim was worth to them to fight over it. Therefore they had to make a lottery. Ah, so the Gebarah says, keep your finger on Dashi. So the Gebarah said, oh yeah? So I could look at the uh, Inyan of the Turumat edition the same way. I could look at it as the beginning of the Morning service. And the Gemara proves it. What's the proof? If a Kohen, let's say, made Kiddush Adayim V'Raglayim at night for the Terumat Adeshin, he does not have to make it again in the morning, meaning he can rely on that one that he did, because that's considered Tehilat Avodah. That's Lashon of the Light. Tehilat Avodah means the beginning of the service. Let's read Rashi. En Sarikh, or the Machar En Sarikh L'Kadesh, Im Lo Yatsam Menam Mikdash. Of course, if he didn't leave the Beit HaMikdash, because there's two times that you have to make Kiddush Adayim Raglayim. If he left the Beit HaMikdash, between services, or let's say he had a Sehada'at, or let's say he just took his mind off his hands, even if he was in the Beit HaMikdash, and therefore it was an interruption in his Kavana, he would have to wash again. So assuming that he didn't leave the Beit HaMikdash, and he didn't take his mind off it. Now, there is an opinion of Rabbi. Rabbi holds like this. There's an Anyan, any time... Alot shahar passes, automatically according to the B, it's called Lina, meaning the night passed, according to the B, you have to make Kiddush Adam again. 
that's Himeni Gezira. That always once Adot HaShachat passes, the Kohen has to make Kiddush Yadayim Raglayim. However, in this case, even the bee that she's going to tell us, who holds normally after Alot, the Kohen has to make Kiddush Yadayim Raglayim, if he did it for the Turumat Adeshin, even after Alot, he's okay. Why? Because it's considered Tachilat Avodah. Meaning, that's considered already the morning already. Because since it's the, it's, the, it's the Avodah, the first Avodah for the day, even though you did it before Alot, after Alot, you're covered. You don't have to do it again. That's what she says. He says, V'afilu Rabbi. That what? That lina. When a person um, sleeps over, meaning Alot Hashal passes, he needs Kiddush Adam Raglayim. Modehu the Mikrot Geber Ad Safra Lo Pasla Lina. He holds that Mikrot Geber. Mikrot Geber before Alot Hashal, which is when he does this mitzvah of Turmat Adeshin till after Alot Hashal, it's not pasul. Meaning he can rely on the. Kiddush Adam that he did. Point of the Gemara is what? It's considered Tehillat Avodah. To that Gemara answers, Ema, okay, change the Lashon of the Brayta. Ema Shekevar Kiddush Metehillat Avodah. Say the reason why he doesn't make Kiddush Adam in the morning is because he did it already for an Avodah. Take out the word Tehillat Avodah. By taking out the word Tehillat Avodah, we're not considering it that it's considered the first service in the morning. It's considered Avodah, but not, it's really Avodah Laila. And therefore, since it's Avodah Laila, there's really no competition amongst the Kohanim. Therefore, the rabbis originally did not make a pious. When they saw that it became competitive, so they had to put a pious. So again, our original Havamina was, this is Tehillat Avodah Yom. Because it says in the Braita, Shizet Tehillat Avodah. No, no, take out the word Tehillah. Just say the reason why there's no Kiddush Adam Reglam is because it is Avodah. Hmm. But not Ta'ilat Avodah. Okay, so then what's really Avodah? Laila? Rabbi, it's going to be too much competition, therefore they did not make a bias originally. Good. That's one uh, version of understanding why this, uh, how this uh, came about. Now the Gibbara gives a different version. Originally, Rabbi thought the following. Kevan di Ika Oneshina. Since people usually oversleep or sleep, so no one's showing up. Because this was done, let's say, early in the morning. Right? The Tirumat edition was done, let's say, before Alot HaShahar. Now, that means people are in bed. You have to get out of bed in the morning early to go do this. That's so easy to get out of bed in the morning. So the rabbi said, uh, who's getting up so early in the morning to go do this mitzvah? We're not going to have too much competition. Keman da'azu but when I saw that when you were getting up and coming, it was actually coming to Sakana, That's when the rabbis made a Takana, you know what, better do the lottery. So the Kabbalah says, hold it. Which is also done at night. When is the, uh, the Haktara done? Already it's done um, all night long. Which you have to be up at night to do this uh, mitzvah. And the rabbis still made a pious. We wanted the rabbis make a tekana for, for the Aktara, even though it's done late at night. And they weren't, they didn't say, oh, people asleep are not going to wake up. No, originally they made a pious. So the Gemara said there's a big difference. Shani Migna Mimekam. The Gemara says there's the difference of going to sleep or getting up. Meaning, by the Haktara, all the Kohanim would have to just stay up longer. So it's easier to stay, once you're up already, it's easier to stay up longer. So let's say it, let's say it's the Haktara, you know, at, at night, let's say, uh, you know, from before Hatzor till, uh, uh, till uh, let's say, uh, the morning, let's say. But they were up already. 
Kohanim are up at night. So you just tell them to go at night, stay up a little longer, whoever wants to do the Haktarah. So it's easier to stay up when you're up already, therefore the rabbi says, you know what, you better make a lot of it, there's going to be a lot of competition. Mashi'enken in the Terumat Adeshin, which was done at the end of the night, let's say, so they already, Kohanim are sleeping. It's much harder once you're sleeping to get out of bed. Therefore the rabbis didn't think originally there was going to be too much competition. When they saw that the Kohanim were getting out of bed, and it was leading to Sakana, so therefore they had to make the uh, Takana of the pious. Look at Rashi. Second line. Shani migna mimekam. Noach lo adam linaded me'inav. A person will be willing to deprive sleep from his eyes if he's up already. Milelech lishon from going to sleep. It's easier than to get up early in the morning. If you're up already, it's easy to stay up. But to go to sleep, it's more difficult. <coughs> now, it seems, incidentally, that according to this, the guy that was in charge of the Haktara would really have to stay up the whole night. Now, why? Uh, all you got to do is, in the beginning of the night, just take the meat, put it on the Mizbaya, you did the Mizbaya, go to sleep. He's not depriving himself of any sleep. So what's it Kohavim? Let him just do the mitzvah. He can be in bed by uh, you know nine o'clock. So the explanation is that no. Remember we learned in the earlier pedic that what if some of the bones fall off the mitzvah? Right? If some of the bones fall off the mitzvah, if it's before hatzot, he's got to put it back on. If it's after hatzot, he keep it on. If it depends if it's meat, if it's a dry bone, all that stuff that we learned. So therefore, you need a monitor standing by the mitzvah the whole night. Making sure that if anything fell off the mezbeah, he's got to put it back on. So therefore he is depriving himself of sleep, but again he's up already. So since he's up already, the rabbi said there's going to be competition on this, we've got to make a pious from the beginning to decide who's going to get this mezbah. Meshi'enke, they didn't think they would have to make a pious to wake up in the morning, because they thought that uh, there would be less uh, competition, but they saw that that was not so, therefore they had to turn it into a pious. Comes the Gibran continues. Says, which have I? You know, you're telling me that the reason why they made a pious is for the reasons that the Gemara says, either because, like we said, it leads to sakana, and since it led to sakana, so the rabbis had to, you know, establish a pious. Is that the reason? No, the reason why they made a pious is for the following reason. But the Gemara gives a different reason. The Tanya we learn to the Brayta. Nish is a kaptrat addition. The Kohen that gets the zechut to do the tzmat addition to take the ashes of the mizbeach. Oh, we got to read that vav. That vav would change it to zaka. Okay, zaka b'sidur maraka. He also would get the zechut to set up the mizbeach. There was, uh, let's say, uh, wood on the mizbeach. So he also gets a chance to set up the mizbeach, you know, clean it up and put it in order. And he was the one that put on the special two pieces of wood on the mizbeach. So therefore there was a certain uh, uh, procedure in doing the Trumat Adeshin. So it was like, a, you, get, you get three jobs for one. Whoever gets the Trumat Adeshin, he gets, besides Trumat Adeshin, he puts the Marakah in order, the mizbeach, and then he gets to put the two woods on the mizbeach. And therefore, uh, the Gemara is saying like this, so forget about Sakana. The, the purpose we have to make a lottery is because it's much more than to the addition. You're getting, uh, you're getting value over here. The reason why I bring it to a lottery is is because look how many things you're getting for this, uh, for this item. You're getting to do to the addition, Sidura Maraka, Sidushin Gizli. I see the two woods. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, 
ותקנתה do you think the reason why they did the pies is because of the takala, because of the the accident that happened on the mizbeach? Ve'alai gisavai b'shvil sidura ma'arakah shtegizir asim shatorem uam misadeh v'chemen dechulam bekoen echad yeskar avodot chasuvot. Which is over here the kohanim they would compete for this item. You're getting uh, very very important services, doing the ma'arakah, setting up the wood. My pies, that's why you needed a pies. That she says shtegizir asim shene bekiyot asim arukim. They would take two pieces of long wood, kibidat like the size of the width of the maracha, which would be it's less than 32 amot, because the maracha itself is just a pyre area, but I guess it's a long area. They had the wood on the mizbeah, that's, that's the setting up to the maracha, to place the wood, and over the wood they would place two long pieces of wood on top, of that was called shene gezireh, Etzim. Like the Pasuk says, they learn, Mikla Yadif la Kaman, Ubi'ira la Kwen Etzim, Ubi'ira la Ma'arechet, Aetzim Shene Gizir Etzim. Da'ikara Ma'arechet Meshtere, Shad Ekla Va'esha Vazmeh Tu Kadbo, Dekhon Mokadash Vayna Lashon Ma'arechet Medurai. Fine. So therefore the Gibran's question is, what are you telling me the reason why they made the pious for the Trimat Edition is because of Sakana, because the guy uh, pushed his friend. What are you talking? There was competition from the beginning because the Kohanim wanted to earn the Zechut to do these three important Avodot. So the Gemara gives the, uh, the order what happened. Gemara says like this. Amar of Asher, Shete Tekanot Havu. Originally there were two institutions. Me'ikara Savur Lo Atu. Originally the rabbi said, it's Avodat Laila, nobody's coming to do this. He says, you know what? Let the first come first serve. Kevan the Hazu the Kaatu. When the rabbis saw that they, they were showing up, not only were they showing up, and the people were pushing each other, the Guanim, the Kinu la Paisa. So the rabbis said, you know what? Lottery. Now what happened by making the lottery? It was counterproductive. Kevan the Kinu la Paisa, lo Atu. So they stopped coming. Amru, they said, lan. Who said we're going to win? Which means, if. It was up to the first, come first serve. We're in control of our own destiny. All right, so the Kohanim were excited to come. Once the rabbis took it out of their own control and said, lottery. Uh, guys, I'm not getting up in the middle of the night now to go to a lottery. I might not even win, and it's not in my control to win. So the lottery now set it back. People stopped coming. So the rabbis had to put an incentive. So what did they say? Hadar tekinu do mish zakab to what addition? Yiskeb b'sidud marakah b'tikus yaisim ki eki dinitu b'nefaisu. So in order to get them to come to the lottery, they added some perks onto the to what addition. If the rabbi comes to the what addition, you get the marakah set up and you get the shnigis yaisim. So the order was like this. Originally, the rabbi said no one's showing up for this item. It's the middle of the night. No one's. Uh, it's Abu Dalayla. It's not hashuv to them. First come, first serve. Truth is, it was a miscalculation because the Kohanim not only were coming, but there was so much competition that it got dangerous. They were fighting for it. Like he was okay, we gotta put an end to this over here. Lottery. What the lottery did, it worked so well that nobody showed up. Because they said, what are we showing up for a lottery for? It was out of our control. So the rabbis had to say, okay, now we have to get the people to show up. So they said, okay, we're making a lottery, but whoever wins, you get three avodot for one, three for one. All right, three for one, it's worth for me to get up and take a chance to win the lottery. So that was the way the system worked. Comes again when I continues. Now, so we said they would originally race up the uh, ramp. And whoever would get within four amot, he was the winner. So now the Gibraltar is going to analyze four amot of what? 
So the Gemara starts. Amar Papa Peshita li, it's obvious, it's Pashut, Arba Amot de Ara lo. It doesn't mean four amot of the ground in front of the kibish. Which means, don't think that when the Mishnah says within four amot, it means whoever got within four amot of the kibish, meaning they're running towards the kibish, the guy on the ground gets four amot to the kibish, he's the winner. Can't be. Why? Because what does the Mishnah say? Latsin ve'olin ba'kibish tenan. Because it says they would run okay. up the kibish. Okay. So obviously we're not talking about the four amot before the kibish. That's obvious. Now, and we're not talking about whoever gets up the first four amot of the kevish either. Why? Because the Mishnah says two things. It says they would run up the kevish, and then it says, And it says whoever would beat his friend. So it's there were two stages. They would run up the kevish, and then it says whoever would get there first. It's much they were still... They were still going. They were still running. Meaning it wasn't at the beginning of the Kevish. Because if it was just the beginning, getting into Kevish, it would have said, Ratsim ve'olim ba'kevish. Period. But from the fact that it repeats, Ratsim ve'olim ba'kevish, ve'chol akodem zakha, it's much that they were still running. Okay, so we know it's not on the floor, of the, before the Kevish. We know it's not the first four amount of the beginning of the Kevish. So the Gemara says, Debeni beni namelo. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle of the Kevish. Which is maybe it's four amot at some line of demarcation in the middle of the kibbish, somewhere in between. Meaning, in between the beginning of the kibbish to the mizbeah. Maybe it's some unknown space. So the Gemara says, can't be. Lo, lo, de lo misayma milta. Because it's not marked. Which means, where? It, it, it's not a, it's an arbitrary number. Which means, where, where would you make it on the mizbeah? Well, what, what point? I mean, I asked in the beginning. I guess in the end, in the middle somewhere, it's not, uh, it's not uh, earmarked, it's not, um, it's not the known. As she says, There's not going to be a sign. How are you going to know which part of the middle of the Mizbayah the race ends? So the Gemara says, Pshitali Ela, what is it? The first, the closest fort to the top of the Mizbayah. She's the ramp was 32 Amot. So whoever would get, let's say, like the 28 uh, Abba up the range, which is four Abba closer to the Mizbeah, that's the one that wins. So that'll give us a question. Tanakh. Ba'e Rapapa. Rapapa has a question. Arba Amot Sha'amru, the four Amot that the Hakamim said, Ba'ade Amma Yesod, Ba'ama Sobeb, Odilma Barme Amma Yesod, Ba'ama Sobeb, Teku. Now let's review what the Mizbeach looked like first. And I have a picture over here just so you can uh, remind yourself of the uh, Mizbeach. Of course you had the ramp. That represents 32 Amma, and you just go straight up the ramp, and of course it leads you to the, the top of the Mizbeach. However, on the bottom of the Mizbeach, you had an Amma of Yesod. Yesod was the base of the Mizbeach, that's where the blood of the Qurbanot would fall into that and drain into that Yesod. Now, the, uh, the ramp as you see it does not go all the way to the Mizbayah on the bottom. If you draw a straight line on the bottom of the ramp, it doesn't reach all the way to the Mizbayah. There isn't a gap of an Amma, no space, between the Mizbayah and the, uh, and the ramp on the side. Now, now, further now, so the question is when we say uh, they're running up within four Amot, do you include this Amma over here of the Yesod? Exactly. Is this, is, is this Amma 
counted, or on top, if you look at the Mizbeah, on top, there was like a rim. They called this the Sobib. They did this for decorative purposes. They made the Mizbeah, it was not 32 Amma square. It would, after 6 Amma high, it would go in. It would be a little narrower. So they would have a little Amma over here, uh, you know, uh, in, in, indented, like uh, sticking out like a ledge. That's what it was, a ledge, right? And that was an Amma as well. Now, uh, that also, you see on the Mizbeah, on the ramp, it would end before... Right? That, that Amma would end before the top of the ramp. So the question is, uh, of the Gemara, when we say four Amot to the Mizbeah, are we factoring in the Amma of the Yesod and the Amma of the Sovev? Look at uh, she that she says on the bottom. That she says, Peshitali, the bottom Nashi. Gabir Mizbeah Tanan, this is the question. The ramp, which means is over the yesod one amma, which means it does not reach the end to the mizbeh. Is the amma of the yesod, right? The amma sovev, and also the amma of the sovev. Nimseu arba mot esmuchot a kevish tchat yesod mizbeach milmata and shesh lismichut gaga mizbeach, which means technically. To the top of the Mizbeh, it's really six Amot. Which is when you get four, four, it's really four plus one of the Amma Yesod, plus you have another Amma of the Sovev. So the question is, when we say four, do we mean four plus the, plus the two, or not including it? So he says, uh, here. When we said the four amot includes one of the yesod and one of the sobeb, or dilma next rashi, the smichat the spot tachtonad the mizbeach nakatnu the bad mi yesod the sobeb to shesh kodem smichat gago, which means no, maybe it's four amot after the not including the guy, not including the yesod and the sobeb. So that's the Gemara's question. How do you calculate the four amot? Is it including the yesod and the sobeb, uh, which would take it to six amot off the roof of the mizbeach or not? The Gemara says tiku. Gemara does not answer that question. So in conclusion, we really don't know where the line of uh, demarcation is, you know, who wins the race at which point. We know it's four amot somewhere on top of the Mizbeah, but we're not uh, certain exactly at which point. Comes the Gemara and continues. Right, if both of them came to the same spot at the same time, it's a tie. So the Mimune would say, okay, put out your fingers. And he would pick out the number, and he'd start counting. Tana. Right, the Gemara says, he would tell them, take out your fingers, so we can count. The Gemara says, What do you got to count fingers? Just count them. Just pick a number, 26, start counting. One, two, three, four. What do you have to count fingers? So the Gemara says, You're not allowed to count bodies. Even if you're counting for a mitzvah, you're not allowed. Again, in order to find out which Kohen would get the uh, Tirumah, How would they count? In other words, they would count to what number? He would pick an arbitrary number. You say 60, let's say. The Mimune would pick a number. Right? I put out one or two fingers. Now we start. Like, the, like we do the 21st finger. So this, this is the source of it. So they would count, he would pick the number in his head, and then he would start counting. One, two, three, four, five, six. They got the number. So the Gemara says, what he, he goes around. He goes, and he picks a number more than the Kwanim that were there, obviously. So the Gemara says, what do you count the fingers? Just count the people. 
So from here we learn a proof that Rabbi Yitzchak taught us you're not allowed to count bodies, even for a mitzvah purpose. By Shaul HaMelech, when he was counting the soldiers to go out to war, he needed a census. He needed to know how many soldiers he had. How did he count them? It says Bebezik. What is Bezik? With pottery shards. Which means he told them, everybody take a piece of pottery, throw it in the pile. After they all threw it in the pile, he counted the pottery shards. So you see what? That he, that's a mitzvah, to go out to war. Even when you're counting for a mitzvah, you can only count through something else. You cannot count direct people. So therefore the Gemara says, that's a proof. So comes the Gemara and says, Matkif Who told you when it says the Pasuk, Bebezik, that Bezik means broken pottery. Dilma Shema Maybe it's the name of a place. Maybe the Pasuk, Bebezik. He counted them in a place called Bezik. Kedikti, like we have a Pasuk that says, Vayimsi'u Adoni Bezik, Bebezik. They found Adoni. I'm reading the full pasuk. It says et Adoni Bezik bebezik. They found Adoni Bezik in the place called Bezik. So how do you know that the word Bezik means pottery jars? Okay, so we have a different pasuk. Shaul ta'am. No, that's not Vayishma. It says Vayishma. Right, Vayishma. It says read. Vayishma means he gathered the people. Vayishma shul ta'am. Vayifkedem betelaim. He counted them with sheep. This was another time that she was going out to war. So how do you count the people? It says, Shaul HaMelech had a big uh, flock of sheep. So he told each one of his soldiers, everybody take one sheep. And therefore, at the end he counted the sheep. So you see what? Even with a surah mitzvah, to, to, to go to war, still he only counted, not bodies, but he counted them, the sheep. Amar Bil Azar, Anybody that counts the Jewish people or their beloved, he transgresses a negative commandment. They should not be quantified. So you see clearly over law. He says it's actually two lotases. Shnei emar lo yimad ve lo yisafer. In that same pasuk it says they should not be quantified and they should not be counted. Meaning he says it twice. So therefore you see if a person counts bodies you get two isurim. Lo yimad ve lo yisafer. So comes the says Amar Rabbi Shmuel ben Nachmani. Rabbi Yonatan Rabbi Ketiv. Rabbi Yonatan actually brought a contradiction in this pasuk. One pasuk says, actually the beginning of the pasuk says, That the Jewish people are going to be like the uh, sand on the, by the ocean. Which means, you can't count them. It's, uh, it's not countable. Not countable. And it says, And it says, Oh, which means like this. It's the opposite way. Which is, when the pasuk says they're going to be like the sand, so the sand is a finite number. It's a lot, but it's a finite number. So it's much about what? That Klai Yisrael is going to be like the sand in the what? It's going to be a finite number. And then it says, they're not going to be countable. He's learning it as if the Pasuk is saying, they're going to be not able to be counted. That, he's not learning it that it's Isur to count Yisrael. He's learning it's like, a, it's like, it's like there's going to be so many, Ashilu Yisafir. Well, make up your mind. The beginning of the Pasuk is Mashra, it's a finite number. The end of the Pasuk says, they're not going to be countable. Make up your mind. Is it finite or infinite? So the Gemara says, 
כמה זמן שישראל עושים לסנו של מקום, כמה זמן שאין עושים לסנו של מקום. It depends. When B'nai Yisrael are doing the will of God, אשר לא יספר. It's immeasurable. When they're not doing the סנו של מקום, ככל הים. There's a finite number to them. Now obviously this does not refer to physical numbers here. Because even when B'nai Yisrael are doing the will of God, we're not infinite, it's always a finite number. And this is referring to the spiritual reward and value that the Neshama is going to have. When B'nai Yisrael are doing the Tzrosh Makom, their reward and value, we'll call it, let's say, their quality of the Neshama will be infinite. However, when they're not doing the Tzrosh Makom, then already their Neshama becomes limited, meaning their reward becomes a limited reward. Comes the Gemara, says, Rabbi Yomir, Mishum Abba Yosef Ben Tostai. Lakasha. He answers this, this question a different way. Kan bide Adam, kan bide Shamayim. He learns the Pasuk differently. One is referring to B'nai Adam, and one is referring to B'nai Shamayim. Which means like this. In the second part of the Pasuk, that says what? Ashelu Yisafir. That they will not be counted. Yes, that's by human beings. B'nai Yisafir cannot be counted by uh, human beings. However, Kan B'nai Shamayim. Which means, uh, B'nai Yisafir is going to be so great that the only one that's going to be able to count them is God. So when the Pasuk says, Dayam ispar b'nei yisrael k'chol ayam, that they're countable. By who? By God. B'nei shamayim. Ashen lo yisafir, they're not going to be countable? Yeah, by human beings. So therefore, this is really referring to the quantity of b'nei yisrael. Means they're going to come at time when the Jewish people are going to be so much, so plentiful, that only God's going to be able to count them. K'chol ayam. They're countable, but only by who? B'nei shamayim. That's referring to that they're going to be so uh, numerous that human beings will not be able to count them. Understand the the dash? I want param. The pasuk starts off. They're going to be like the uh, uh, sand on the ocean, the sand on the beach. That means they they, they, they can be counted. So the Gemara says, who's going to be able to count them? God. They're not going to be countable, meaning by human beings. I will say. Comes the Gemara and says, Amar Rav Nihilai, Mar Idi, Amar Shuel, Kevach, Bane Adam Panasa the Sibur. Once a person is nominated to become the leader of the Jewish nation or of, over the community, Mitasher, he becomes rich. Leadership positions bring wealth. Originally, when Shaul just became nominated to be the king of Israel, when he counted Bnei Yisrael, how did he count them? With pottery shards. And at the end of his career, he counted them with sheep. And, and who's these sheep? His sheep. That means he must have had tens of thousands of sheep. He went from pottery shards counting to sheep. So the Kabbalah says, Vedilma Mididu. The Kabbalah says, Who told you the sheep were his? Maybe they were there with the peoples. Maybe each person had to bring a sheep to be counted. The Kabbalah says, uh, there was Hadush in the Pasuk then. Vayifkedem betelaim. The Pasuk is going out of its way to say that there was a Hadush over here. That he, if they each one brought one sheep to be counted, big deal. But to say that he had telaim, that's already something noteworthy that the Pasuk should mention. So from the, Pasuk, the, from the fact that the Pasuk mentioned it must be it's referring to the fact that Shaul had all these sheep. Comes again and continues. Vayarev banachal. This is referring to when Shaul and Melech went out to war against Amalek. As you know, in that war, 
Shemuel commissioned them to go to kill out everybody Men, ladies and children and animals Shaul HaMelech however as you know came back from this war Leaving Agag, the king of Amalek alive His intention was to let Shemuel do the honors of killing Agag And he came back with the animals Now the Gibbara is going to tell us why What was the logic of Shaul to keep the animals Although Shaul did kill men, women and children Shaul felt that That it's almost as if we're killing innocent people And therefore he needs a kapara So he felt that the animals Will be brought as korbanot To mechaped for the innocent children and ladies let's say That were killed during the war That's the way he felt And he he made a logic to it Because we have a law called Egla Arufa Egla Arufa is where you find a dead person between two cities You don't know who killed them Rabbis come out, they measure To the closest city where the body is found, that city must bring in the Agla Arufa as Kapara. So he was making a logic. He said, if for one body that was killed, you have to go through this whole process of Agla Arufa, or the most for all these bodies that were killed, or the most some sort of atonement is necessary. And the rabbis learned that by Yarev Banahal. Literally means he was fighting at the Nahal. Nahal is the river. Where did they do the Agla Arufa? At a certain river called Nahal Etan. So he was grappling with the Nahal, meaning he was grappling with this concept of Igla Arufa that's done by the Nahal. And what did he say? Amar Abani al Nahal. He was grappling with the subject of Nahal Etam, which is Igla Arufa. When God told Shaul, Amalek. Go smite Amalek. Amar, he said, Uman Nefesh Ahat. If regarding one soul, Amrat Turah be Igla Arufa. The Torah says, why you got to bring Egla Arufa to atonement? Kol anifashot alalu. Alahat kama vikama. Which is all these souls, all these people that we killed. Well, the most so we have to bring a uh, kapara. Ve'im adam hata. And if, let's say, you want to say the human being sinned. Be'ema mahata. What's the sin of the animals? Ve'im gedolim hatu. Ketanim mahatu. And if the adults sinned, what did the uh, children sin? But he killed the children. He killed them because that's what God told them. But he figured the animals will serve as a kapara. So Borei Olam comes to him and says, God tells Shaul, don't be such a tzaddik. Don't be so merciful. Who asked you to have so much mercy over you? I told you to kill the animals as well. And you're now saying, oh, it's kapara for the amalekim that we killed. Shaul, alti tzaddik arbe. It's not necessary for you to be so overly... Uh, overly mercy, overly merciful. The Me'idi writes that anybody that has mercy under the Shaim that are worthy to die, which means eventually you'll end up having, uh, it'll end up coming out to cruelty. Shaul had mercy on Agag. He let him alive. What ended up happening? Agag that night cohabitated with his shifcha, and from that was born Haman. So you see, you thought you were having mercy, but from that mercy, what ended up happening? It brought the cruelty. He ended up causing Haman to come into the world. Now there was another story in the Tanakh. Story was David was considered by Shaul. A nemesis. And Shaul considered David a threat to the throne. And David was running away from Shaul. And he was on the run and he was hungry. He didn't eat. The Yamarah says he had bulmos. He was not going to die of starvation. 
So he got to the city of Nov, Nov, the city of Kohanim. When he got there, uh, he, the Kohanim saw right away that David Melech was in trouble. So they gave him the lechem apanim to eat. Now, even though you don't usually give the lechem apanim to a stranger, but in this case, David was going to die. It's pikuah nefesh. So they gave him to eat. Doeg, who was the advisor of Shaul, went back to Shaul and said, the city of North is rebellious to you because they're harboring your enemy. They fed him. When Shaul heard that, so what did Shaul do? Shaul tells Doeg, Sov ata bekohanim. He said, you go and kill out the Kohanim. Go kill the Kohanim of Nov. How many Kohanim were there? 85 Kohanim. So Doeg went and killed out the whole city. So what did God say? Shaul, now the opposite. You're being too cruel over here. Which means, in one place you were overly mercy when you shouldn't have. You had mercy on the Rishayim. And here you're having cruelty on the good people. So therefore those were the two sins that Shaul Amel committed. The sin in the war of Amalek. And the sin by having Doeg kill out the Nov Irakwanim. Amar So Ravuna says, Which means, how much is a person saved from sickness and troubles, which means the one that God helps him. Which means, if, if God's on your side, how many things does God save that person? But if God's not on your side, right away the person falls from the first uh, bad encounter. So again, a person does not become sick and does not become uh, bothered. Gavra, the person, the one that God helps. The Gemara says, Shaul. Shaul Amalek made one sin and finished. That sin was enough to dethrone him. David Bishtayim. David Amalek committed two sins and still he wasn't dethroned. Which is if the Gemara is trying to say God was with David. He committed two sins, but he still maintained his kingdom. Shaul, one sin, finished. He was dethroned. So the Gemara says, Shaul ba'ahat ma'ihi. But what's the one sin of Shaul? Ma'aseh de Agag. The sin of Agag, that he kept Agag alive. So the Gemara says, Ma'ika ma'aseh de Nov irakwanim. What do you mean? But didn't we say the two sins? What about the fact that he killed Nov irakwanim? The Gemara says, Ma'aseh de Agag kiti. Right after the story of Agag that he kept him alive, it says, Nihamti ki imlachti et Shaul de Melech. Which is, although Shaul committed two sins, he got dethroned after one. So therefore, after the war of Abalek, David, God, God said already, I despise his kingdom. David Bishtayim, David committed two sins, my new, de Uriah Udhasata. Now let's review the story quickly of Uriah. David Melech saw a lady, her name was Bathsheba. He went and he cohabitated with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was actually married to a man called Uriah. What happened? Uriah now came back from the war. When he came back from the war, David Melech sent him back. And he actually put him on the front lines. But before he sent him on the front lines, he called Uriah and told him to go with his wife, to go home to his wife. Why did he do that? Because Bathsheba became pregnant from David. David wanted to cover it up. So he figured if Uriah will go with his wife, so they won't think it's from David, they'll think the pregnancy is from Uriah. 
Uriah balked. He said, I'm not going home to my wife. So David Amir, you're not going home to your wife? Gemara and Shabbat says that's considered Moreh Malchut. That's considered rebellion. You're not listening to the king. So therefore Uriah had a death sentence on him. Therefore David was justified sending Uriah out to war. Uriah went out and he put him in the front lines. Which means he was actually causing him to die. Which was legal in the sense that he was Moreh Malchut because he did not listen to David. What ended up happening? He died in the war. Now, let me give you one important factor in this story of David and, and, and Bathsheba. True, when David was Bathsheba, she was still married. So technically this is Hasbeth Shalom, an adulterous relationship. But the Gemara says it wasn't. Because the Minhag was, all the soldiers, before they would go out to war, in the times of David, they would give their wives a conditional get. And they would say, if we don't come back from the war, you are divorced from today. The reason why they would do that is because if let's say a soldier was missing in action, so then the so the wife so the wife will be an aguna, which means if they didn't get a divorce, she's not she doesn't know where the husband is, she's not gonna be able to get married. So what they would do is if I don't come back by a certain date, it's a divorce from today. Now, when Uriah was sent out to war the second time, he died in that war. So retroactively he was divorced from the time that David was with her. So technically David did not cohabitate with a Eshet Ish. But at the time she was pending. At the time, it was questionable, is Uriah going to die or not? But at the end it came out okay. came out roses for David. Because bottom line, he died, but she's divorced, and therefore he wasn't with an Eshet Ish. But since it had a, a trace of impropriety over here. There was a trace of something funny, especially for David Amelech, so they called it the sin of Uriah. That was considered a sin for David. Although, technically, Uriah was supposed to die because he was a Murad de Malchut. And technically, there was no adulterous relationship according to the Halakha, but, it, we'll say like, it smells over here. Some, some fishy over here. So therefore, what happens? David gets uh, the sin of Uriah. The second sin was Hasata. Hasata is the sin that David Amelech went and countered the Jewish nation. He made a mistake. He forgot the law and he counted the Jewish people. So the Gemara is going to explain like this. Now, as a result of that hasata, 70,000 people in the Jewish nation died. So the Gemara says, so you have Uriah's story, that he killed Uriah and hasata. And still he maintained his kingdom. kingdom. So the Gemara now, in the story of Uriah, there's two stories. There's the Uriah part of it and the Bacheva part of it. The Uriah part of it is that he sent Uriah to the front lines to get killed. And the problem with that was, because the Navi says like this, when Natan and Navi came to David, he told him a mashal, he told him the following. He said like this, he said there was a rich guy, he lived next to a poor guy. The rich guy had sheep and flock and everything. The poor guy had nothing, just one measly little sheep. The rich guy was having company. He didn't want to use his own sheep. He stole the sheep of his neighbor, the Ani, and he slaughtered it, and he gave it to his guests. David Amelik heard this, he said, Hayabita, and he has to pay four times the, uh, the sheep. So the, the Tanavi said, you're the guy. Which means, he told them, Uriah, you're the king of Israel. You can marry whoever you want. You had to go take Uriah's wife, Miskeen, one little guy over here. You had to take his wife. So that was the sin of Uriah. So therefore they get what I yeah, but there was the sin of Bathsheba as well, meaning because Barnabas when he was with Bathsheba, it was questionable if she's going to be divorced retroactively. So the Gabbana he committed three sins. The sin of Uriah, meaning that he took Uriah's wife and he sent him out to the front lines, even though we said it's legal because he was Murid bin Malchut, because he did not listen to David when David Amir told him to go home to your wife. 
the sin of counting and the sin of Bachimas, which Yamana says, No Hatam Ifriumine. There, by the sin of Bachim, I got punished for. We're only discussing sins that he didn't get punished for, that he got away with, so to speak. In the sin of Bathsheba, God punished David. How do we know? David Amelech rendered his own judgment. When Natan Levi gave him that mashal, what did David Amelech say? The guy who stole the sheep has to pay four times. So David Amelech paid four punishments for taking Bathsheba. What were they? Yelid, Amnon, Tamar, Ve'avshalom. Let's go one at a time. Yelid. The first son that was born from Bathsheba died. The next son was Amnon. What did uh, Amnon do? So Amnon committed a crime against his father. What did he do? He was killed actually. Tamar was raped. That's the story of uh, Amnon and Tamar. She, uh, Amnon and Tamar were technically half-sisters. So Amnon went and seduced his half-sister Tamar, and eventually uh, raped her. And the last thing was Avshalom. Avshalom was killed after the rebellion that he made against his father. So David Amel, four bad things happened to him. He lost his first son from Bathsheba. Number two, his son Amnon died. Number three, his daughter Tamar was raped. Number four, his son Absalom also died in the rebellion. So you see, he got his punishment for that. The Gebaran says, wait. Hold it. The fact that he counted B'nai Yisrael, he also got punished. Because the Pasuk says 70,000 Jews died. God punished the nation with... Literally, that is uh, pestilence. And what does the pasuk say? Seventy thousand people died. So the Gemara says, "Hatam lo Yeah, but that wasn't physical to David. Although it was great anguish, but nothing physically happened to David. The Gemara says, "Hatam lo so the Gemara says, yeah. But in the story of Bathsheba, nothing physically happened to him himself either. Hmm. Meaning, he lost his children, so, but nothing physically happened to him. And that, 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 of course, that affected him, but physically, nothing happened to David in the story of Bathsheba. So the Gemara says, nah, yeah, no, true. He got punished in the goof. How? That after the story of Bathsheba, David Amelie became a leper, had leprosy for six months. Upershu emenu sanedrin, and the sanedrin left him. Then estalka emenu shechina, because David was depressed. The shechina did not rest upon him. Dichtiiv, David Amelik said, Yashuvu li yireecha viyodei edvotecha. David Amelik said, Let the God-fearing people come back to me. Meaning, I want the sanedrin to to come sit with me again. Uchtiiv hashiva li seson yishecha. Bring me back my happiness. So you see, David Amelik was depressed for six months. The ad leprosy, the Pasuk says in uh, Tehilim. Uh, the Pasuk says in Tehilim, Tehateeni be'ezob ve'etar, Tehabeseni umesheleg albin. David Abelik says, Purify me with the ezov. They used to use an ezov, a hisap, to purify the people that had leprosy. So that implies David Abelik had leprosy. Umesheleg albin, and purify me from the white snow. 
The leprosy is white. So you see, David Melech indeed was punished from that episode uh, personally. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav, Rav said, Kibel David Lashon Ara. David Melech committed another sin. So let's review what we're doing over here for a second. Which means we're saying over here, Shaul Amel committed one sin, he lost the kingdom. Finished, he got punished for it. But David Amalek committed two sins and he still maintained the throne. What were the two sins? Uriah and Hasata. He committed those two sins and nothing happened. He, he, he maintained the throne. What do you mean? You have the sin of Bathsheba. No, the sin of Bathsheba, he got punished, uh, he got punished for. Uh, what about the, uh, the sin of... Uh, uh, how did he get punished by the sin of Bathsheba? His children uh, died, the four things in the sin But that wasn't physical. That was physical. He got physically punished he became a leper. Good. Gemara says, but he committed another sin. He committed Lashon Ara. Now, let me tell you the story outside, and then we'll read it in the Gemara. When David Amalek was running away from Avshalom, so he was a refugee from his own son. So all David's allies came to join with him. One of David's allies, until this point, was Mephibosheth, the son of Shaul. When Shaul Amalek died, David Amalek made a pact with Mephibosheth, that Mephibosheth would eat at the king's table every day and David took care of him. During the rebellion over here, Mephibosheth did not show up to join the ranks of David. Siva was the servant of Mephibosheth. Siva came to David and said, you know why Mephibosheth didn't show up? Because he's hoping that you're going to die and then the kingdom is going to go back to Shaul's family and he'll be the heir to the throne. Now that was Lashon Ara. Siva made up a whole story and fabricated a story why Mephibosheth didn't show up. And according to one version, David accepted that Lashon Ara. And he said, yeah, because of that, I'm seizing the property of Mephibosheth. And therefore, like he, uh, he put an eminent domain on the property. huh? Why Siva? Siva was trying to create Mahokit between David and the family of Shaul. So the Gemara says... Kishmuel. Ah, so we're going like the opinion of Shemuel. Okay, it's the opinion of Shemuel that says what? He didn't accept Lashonara. Is Machlok, did he accept Lashonara? Or didn't he accept Lashonara? Rav says he did. So according to Rav, you really have three sins. But according to Shemuel, that says he didn't accept Lashonara, you only have two sins. Now how does Shemuel learn it? Because bottom line, David did punish Mephibosheth. So the explanation is, later on, Mephibosheth came to David, and he was all unshaven, his clothes were tattered. So when David looked at uh, Mephibosheth, he had circumstantial evidence by looking at him that maybe he's upset that the throne went back to David. That's why he's not shaven. That's why he looks all, you know, disheveled like he is. And then Mephibosheth made some statements that implied that he wasn't so thrilled that David Amelech got the position back. So Shemuel says the reason why he punished Mephibosheth was not because he accepted Lashon and I. He says because... He had circumstances evidence that he indeed was guilty. In any event, the Gebarah says, And even according to Rav, that says he did accept Lashonara from Tziva, but he got punished from it anyway. Mm-hmm. How? When, um, when David told Mephibosheth, he says, I'm telling you now, you're not going to get your full inheritance. You and Siva are going to have to split the field. 
because uh, Rav held it, he accepted the Lashon Ara, the Mephibosheth was a rebel, and therefore he took away half the inheritance of Mephibosheth, and it said, you're going to have to split it. Huh. At that point, what did God say? You're saying to split Mephibosheth's inheritance because you accept Lashon Ara? Yatsab, but kol v'amralo, v'chabam v'yerov'am, yachlokot amalchut. Now, the kingdom of Israel is going to be split. Your son Shalom is going to have a son called Rehavam, and in Rehavam's time, there's not going to be a unified kingdom anymore. There's going to be the split of Malchay Yehudah, Malchay Yisrael, Yerovam is going to be the first king of Israel, where Rehavam is going to be the king of Yehudah, which means, you said Yahloku, God says, okay, Yahloku, you want to split? We're going to make a split. So that this acceptance of the Surah actually was punished, meaning his family lost the kingdom. But it goes further. Ben Shana Shaul ben Malko. The Pasuk says, Shaul was one year old when he became king. How can he be one year old? Amaravuna keben Shana. He was like a one year old. Shelo ta'am ta'am het. Which is, when Shaul became the king, he was pure like a one year old child. He had no sin. But Kifa Rav Nachman, but Yitzhak ve'ema keben Shana shemenuchlach betit ubsoah. <laughs> Maybe it means that like he was a one year old that's dirty. The children, when they're young, they're one year, they, they roll around in the mud and in the dirt. So maybe the Pasuk saying that he was like a one year old that he was filthy. So the Gemara says, That night, after Rav Nachman made that statement about Shaul, he had a bad dream. And what did they show him in his dream? That she says, Fearful angels. Malachet Pahad came to Rav Nachman in a dream as a punishment. That's how you're talking about Shaul. The rabbis are saying that he was clean of sin. And you're coming along and saying, maybe it means he was dirty. So they were punishing him in his dream. Amar, he said, I'm sorry, I caused you pain, angels. Forgive me. Atzamot Shaul ben Kish. He says, I, I, he says, I'm sorry, I've caused you pain, bones of Shaul ben Kish. Forgive me. Hadar He had a recurring dream. The angels came to him in a dream a second time. He then added the words Melech Israel, which means he was trying to say that what? I made a mistake. Which means you see over here when you talk about the great Sadiqim over here, it's not such a small thing. Meaning he didn't mean to damage Shaul. He was just they were learning. How do you know Ben Shaddai is that he was a Sadiq? Maybe it means the opposite. But that already was considered disparaging enough where the angels in the heaven came to him in a dream and said, Hey, what are you doing over here? Watch it. He realized right away. And even after he said, Shaul ben Kish, he didn't refer to him as Melech Israel. Had another dream. The angels came to him again and scared him. He said, okay, forgive me, Shaul ben Kish, Melech Israel. Only after that, the angels were appeased. Baruch Amen.